Is that Keith Jones using a bucket for a, for a stand? Uh, I love I'm, it. I'm looking. I'm trying to find the right way to do this. It's you're not like, working. You're like me. It takes. I'm like <laughs> this stupid angle on a phone. Oh, whatever. My head's going to be huge. That's okay. <laughs> the Parant Favel Generation X podcast is powered by Biscuit Tees and Favel Fitness, bringing you unique comfort and style while optimizing a healthy organic lifestyle. I really, really wanted to to talk to you because um, you have a great story. I I train um, elite junior athletes going into major junior, and your story is always amazing. So, a good friend of mine. I don't know if you do. You remember Garnet Ace? Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, I really, yeah, I do. Yeah, so he Garnet worked, he worked for my agent, Gene McBurney. Yes, I love Gene. Yeah, good guy. Yeah, yeah. So, so Garnet really helps me out when I started out about four years ago. Um, he was kind of getting back into the the agency uh, business. So I had a couple couple elite players that uh, that he really really helped me. Uh, yeah, he got one of my players uh, drafted third round to London. But when I told him you were coming on, he was he he had a great laugh and he said um, uh, him and Gene McBurney and he said what a great great story you coming out of uh, Junior C. So I know yeah. the, I know the Mastersons. Um, yeah, so well, do you really? Mom? Yeah, yeah, the Mastersons, and um, we played with uh, Danny Ritz uh, is a good friend of mine. Uh, Sean Wallington, uh, I remember Wally when he was uh, in Niagara Falls. Yeah, and um, Gilbert Dion. Gilbert Dion played with the ice. You guys had a pretty stacked team there. So I just wanted to ask you about. Um, coming out, going to Western Michigan and uh, Garnet was just telling me what a great story of, uh, you know, how you got into Western Michigan and how everything came about after your, your junior B year. So um, is that something you can kind of, kind of touch on? Oh, yeah. Of yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to do that now? Are we, have we started? Are we on, are we going already? Yeah, yeah, we I just think, we just roll okay. with it. We just go. Yeah, we just, yeah, it's pretty laid back. It's not <laughs> yeah. live. We we can cut and cut and paste anything you want. But um, yeah, so that was uh, he, he was just telling me, he says, you got to ask him about his story about how he got into Western Michigan. So, yeah, well, so I, I play I played junior C hockey in Paris, Ontario as a 17 and an 18 year old. Yeah. Um, I wanted to play in the OHL. I was not drafted after playing you know, minor midget hockey and then mid hockey after that. So I thought I would try out for junior B in Brantford. I was cut from that team. Uh, that's a team that Rob Blake played for. Actually, it's the first time I became friends with Rob, but uh, after being cut from that team, I was like, I wonder where else there is to even try out. So there was a junior C team in Paris, which was about a 20 minute drive from my place. Um, I went in there thinking, that this would be an easy thing to do. And I barely made the team. I was one of the last cuts to, to get on the Paris Mounties junior C team. So, uh, played a, played a full year there as a, you know, after my minor hockey career was over and played as a, so I would have been a 17 year old at that time. And, you know, I had grown a lot in the summer. I was a pretty short kid. I was a late bloomer, but I, probably grew about five inches between the ages of 16 and 17 and that started to benefit me and when I was real young I was really good and then through those middle teen years 
Uh, I wasn't as uh, big or as strong as a lot of guys yeah. I was going against and kind of yeah. was pushed back a little bit. So after playing junior C for one year, I thought, you know what, this was a lot of fun. I actually moved to Paris. I went to high school there for my for grade 13 and played a second year with the Mounties and had a really successful year. Uh, first year blended in and was, was a good player. Second year was a really good player at that level. And uh, fortunately after that, I was given the opportunity to try out for the Niagara Falls Canucks. And that's where I met Tim and Terry Masterson. And yeah. they, uh, they recruited me by giving me $70 of gas money a week. <laughs> that, 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 was my, that was my deal. Hey, and that so, was a lot of gas money back then too. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That allowed me to stay eligible for college, but yeah. I believe yeah. I was not thinking about college hockey at that time. I had yep. finished high school the previous year and was going to attend college in St. Catharines. And I was like, nah, you know what? I'm just going to take a year off. So basically, I played junior B hockey and did not attend uh, school for an entire year. And that junior B season turned out to be a really good one. I played on a great team. Uh, Gilbert Dion was there, Marcel's brother. Uh, yeah. which is confusing to some people because there's about a 20-year <laughs> gap between <laughs> ages and the two of them. Yeah. And uh, we had a star-studded team, a lot of guys that have been very successful at the junior B level, and some guys that dropped back from playing major junior A, and the Mastersons were notorious at putting together a good, tough team. Yeah. And uh, so I, that's where I was uh, spotted by Washington Capitol scouts, uh, Sam McMaster being one of them who left Washington and went on to be the GM in LA for a little while and Jack Button being the other one and yeah. they, they started to talk to me about January of that season and I was like shocked almost fell off my off the, the, uh, the, the table I was sitting at when they were telling me that they were with the Washington Capitals so I was a Maple Leaf fan I went to, as a my girlfriend's family had season tickets to the games and we would go and watch as a fan, as a 19 year old fan playing yeah. junior B hockey, thinking <laughs> I would never have a chance to play on the ice and it never even crossed my mind. So wow. eventually, eventually um, they kind of set me up with some colleges to uh, have them have a look at me. And Western Michigan was one of them. And yeah. eventually I signed, I think in February of that year, normally kids are signing, you know, September of the, prior so at the right of the start of the year i was a real late signing at western michigan and um was then drafted in the summer after you know signing my letter of intent to go to western michigan and kind of all took place rather quickly and before i knew it i was drafted and i was heading to college so you basically got drafted out of junior b which is i did yeah, yeah I did. and i didn't know I, I they had told me like they had said to me when they asked me, oh, we like you, you're not ready, obviously. And, and I wasn't. I, I'd never lifted a weight in my life. I had, uh, <laughs> you know, I was I was just a hockey player and eating chicken wings and drinking beer every night. And like I said, not going to school. So that's basically <laughs> all I did. You were living and the we life. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. and we practiced once a week. I mean, that's literally what junior B hockey was in those days. So. You think about what the kids go through today. If I was taken to a combine for every team in the league <laughs> to look at, I would not have been drafted. Yeah. I can guarantee yeah. that. And, and Kim, I, I know a bunch of the boys that played on that Niagara Falls team, and yeah, they uh, 
they drank uh, beers and ate, ate chicken wings. And did you guys go over the river a lot when you were playing in Niagara Falls? We did. We yeah. Doug Chipman was on my team as well, and I know he still has a bar uh, in that area. Uh, we had a lot of guys that liked to go over. Chicken wings were better over in Buffalo at that time too. So we, <laughs> oh, yeah. we went over, and the, and the, and we we just had a great time of you know enjoying you know that side of the. The, uh, the, the of the of the border and doing a lot of great things together. We had a really close knit team, and yeah. it was it was awesome because it was an older group of guys. Some guys were in the working world already, and yeah. some guys had aspirations <laughs> of playing hockey. And ironically, Jabert and I both went on to play in the NHL too, which is you know kind of surprising from that level. And how old yeah. was he at that time? Was he around your age? He, no, he would have been fourteen or fifteen. Oh, okay, so he was still really young. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So he was just getting started and I, I was just uh, really, I only had one year of eligibility left after that season. I didn't have to use it because I went to Western Michigan. And I, then you apparently from everything I've heard are super proud of your time at Western Michigan. I think they bust on you all the time about, about that, <laughs> but uh, you really liked your time out there. Well, it was great for me because, you know, without, being dedicated to you know physically being ready to play had i showed up in washington you know after i was drafted that year i never would have made it i would have i would have been embarrassed honestly to be in there with all these guys that were bigger stronger more dedicated uh, in the gym than i was so western michigan gave me the opportunity to develop physically and i i absolutely needed it i remember when i took my shirt off for the first time and the head coach really hadn't seen me <laughs> anything other than playing hockey with he's all like, my on and big shoulder pads and he's like jeez you know, I just had this reaction and I'm like ah, yeah because you got some work to do man you know and so I was in the gym all the time and I always laugh Mike Eastwood played on my team there who went on to have a really good NHL career as well and yeah. he was a year ahead of me and everyone's getting ready to do the, you know, the training exercises, testing at the start of the year. And all the veteran guys are warming up with 135 pounds on the bench press, like everyone, nor like normal people do. And I, I've never been under the bench press. So I was looking at it going, it doesn't look that tough to me. You know? like, and so Mike Eastwood was spotting me and I got, I'm underneath the bar trying to lift this thing. I, I couldn't get off my chest for one rep. And he, so he helped me lift it and he's like, don't worry, that was me last year. And thank God he was there because otherwise I probably would have just quit and went home. So, oh my God. So they really yeah. changed your training routine and all that and got you. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, that was an interesting experience. So, and then you, you play in different roles as a freshman, you're, you know, you're playing on the fourth line and you're trying to, get used to playing at a higher level and by you know your junior year you're playing in all situations and as a senior i just continued to ramp up and whatever that scout in washington saw in me started to started to become more of a reality which was shocking i think back to what was happening four years before that yeah. and, and do you know who, oh sorry so, oh, no, i was just gonna say that's what i really love about garnet is when he recognizes something like somebody obviously recognized something in you you know during the, that junior B time and you know what that, that four years development at Western Michigan, that's um, 
that's what I love working with Garnet and something with you is I thought you're going to say, you know, when you got in the gym, you're just one of those naturally strong guys who never works out, but still puts up, you know, 325, but <laughs> so, no, yeah, like Mark Howe said, he was just naturally gifted. <laughs> Genetics. <yeah. laughs> that's never been said to me. I can tell you that. <laughs> Sorry, Kim, you had a question. Go ahead. Oh gosh. I, I forget where I was going with that, but, um, <laughs> but it's pretty cool. Like you, here you were at 19, right thinking you're just going as a fan never even imagining in your wildest dream you'd be playing on that like when did it hit you that 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 was going to be you one day you know I, it started to get in the back of my mind around the end of my junior year I was kind of hopeful that Washington would sign me and I could leave college at that time uh, I wasn't the greatest student um, <laughs> so but that didn't happen so then i during my senior year, I just kept thinking there might be a chance, but you really never know, to be honest with you. I, I didn't know if I could or not, or right. if I would. Um, Cause until you step on the ice in, in, in an NHL uniform, you really don't know if, if you belong or just how difficult it is. So the fact that I was a little more mature and being 23 years of age and not 19, uh, when I arrived in Washington, I think I had a little bit of an advantage that way. But I also knew the window was very small. And I can remember having a pretty good training camp my first year in Washington. And I felt like I had done enough to make the team. And the first game of the season was scheduled to be in Toronto against the Maple Leafs. Wow. And of course, I grew up, grew up an hour yeah. down the road from there. And I, did, I was just telling myself, I don't, I don't know if I belong. I really don't. But if I can play one game in the NHL, I want to play it in Toronto. So I was all wound up and trying to do everything I could to make the team just so I could play that game in Toronto. And David Poyle, the GM, had sent me down. He had reported to me that I was going to be going down to the minors. And we had this exchange where I was fighting like crazy in this conversation to convince him that I – deserve to be on the team and he's he'll say to this day and he's told me previously that it was the most incredible meeting he's ever had with a player but wow. the background to it is i only was like that because that first game was in toronto right. and if it was going to be my only game i wanted it to be in toronto and that was the only <laughs> time the capitals played there the whole year wow. so i had this really animated and um very uh charged up reaction to being sent down that really took him by surprise but in the back of my mind it was only because i felt like <laughs> did, i was that close so did you get I, to play the game i did not no, no. i was sent down i was sent down and uh started the season with the baltimore skipjacks playing for barry trotz who oh, we all know nice. has gone on to be yeah. a very successful coach yeah, yeah. he had uh he was very good to me, but I wasn't there long, but I argued with him every day that uh, <laughs> I need to go up. I need to go up. You know, and, and I, I think I played that season at the start of that season, maybe eight or nine games. And I was scoring about a goal a game pace. And um, we kept, I was listening to and watching Capitals games with an eye on it, but you, you don't want to watch too closely because I had two roommates that, you know, that wouldn't have been a cool thing to be doing. Like, it's yeah. just kind right. of funny, yeah. all the things I, that go into it, right? Yeah. Right. And and you're kind of trying to get ahead of them. And it was like a, uh -huh. an inner competition. So yeah. I, I can remember after about the eighth or ninth game in Baltimore, the Capitals were about that far along in their season as well. 
And they had a couple of injuries. One of them was to Mark Hunter, Dale Hunter's brother. I think he broke his thumb. And they had Kevin Miller, who they had just traded for, for Dino Cicerelli, and he was kind of struggling a little bit. And the cap and the Caps weren't winning. So I was actually, I stayed in a loft. I had a loft, and the, my two roommates were downstairs. And I was listening to the game on a yellow Walkman. They were playing in Vancouver. <laughs> I had and, a yellow uh, Walkman. That's <laughs> Gen- Generation X. <laughs> yeah, it's like 11 o'clock at night because the game's out west. But I know it's I know it's close, and it's the third period, and Kevin Miller took a five-minute major penalty for high-sticking, like a careless penalty, according to the way it was being described on the radio <laughs> to me. And uh, I started thinking to myself, man, that uh, this I, I got to be close. I got to be yeah. close. And then my roommate tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, the phone's for you. I didn't hear it because oh. I had the Walkman on. And it was David Poyle calling to say that I, I had been called up. Uh, But I had a flight 7 a.m. that morning to Calgary from Baltimore. And um, they don't know if I would be playing or not, but uh, they're calling me up. So that's how I found out that I was getting called up to the NHL and got to the airport the next morning at 5 a.m. I don't think I slept more than an hour. And right when I get there, Steve kind of Walchuk's there too at the same time. And I'm, we look at each other. We didn't know we're both going. We're, like, we're both thinking, well, who's in and who's out? And what's going on, right? So we, we flew to Calgary. And then that day, we that morning, uh, we did the morning skate. And then Terry Murray was the coach. And he's like, I don't know if you guys are playing or not, but try to get, you know, a rest and come back and we'll let you know before the game. So obviously we didn't rest. We couldn't stop thinking, <laughs> yeah. of, thinking about this chance to play in the <laughs> NHL. And, uh, and then we got to the rink and he said, you're both in. Um, nice. wow. I just remember, I just remember putting on the Jersey and looking in the mirror in the one of the, the old Calgary arena and just kind of going, wow, this is really going to happen. So wow. that was, uh, that's kind of my journey to getting to the NHL. And I went on, played, 71 games that year um, during the regular season and kind of never looked back at one more stint in the minors for conditioning. Uh, but that was it. And so how, like when you stepped on the ice for the game with the jersey on, ready to go with the team, like how was that? Was it a surreal moment? It, it was, and I couldn't make a pass in the warm-up. I missed it. I, <laughs> I, like I was almost falling down. Like it was just like <laughs> trying to stay composed and just knowing that you had you know reached your childhood dream that really wasn't even a dream for the last four or five years um and then all of a sudden you're you're back in there and you're here you are so it's a very uh, unlikely journey to the nhl and um i don't know that it could happen today uh, because everyone is um you know so closely scrutinized and this this would not have been a stone back uh, in today's world that would have been turned over they uh, they would have looked past it so I was very fortunate that um, I somehow managed to find my way there without, you know, being the most dedicated athlete uh, like the kids have to be today. And you found your way there and you stayed there. And then even after your career. So, you know, that's uh, especially being that 19 and not knowing where it was going to go to where it went. It's just a really incredible story. Yeah, very fortunate. Really yeah. fortunate. And to still be involved in the game now is even I might be prouder of that than I am of making it to the NHL because that that was not something that came naturally to me. Uh, talking uh, in front of public, in a public setting, um, 
because I was a communications major for a little while in college until they made us get up and speak in front of the class. Right. I, I like sweated right out. It was like <laughs> the most uncomfortable feeling I ever had. Uh-huh. And then I eventually dropped out because we went to a um, on a kind of a field trip in college to a local television station, and we were all going to be given this opportunity to talk on camera. And I just remember getting up near the front of the line and just turning around. And I didn't do it. A heart pounding <laughs> um, and this way. Yeah. yeah. And I wasn't. And that, then I switched to being a sociology major shortly <laughs> after that. So um, I'm, it's really shocking to me. And it'd be real shocking to Keith Jones as a 22 year old that here, here I am today um, doing doing what I'm doing. And it didn't start off smoothly in that regard either, even after I retired. I was a very good interview when I played. Um, I was honest and, you know, gave good answers and was very popular with those in the media because of those things. And the expectations would be were that I would be very good on television. I quickly signed a deal with ESPN when I retired from the Flyers. Did they approach that, you? Uh, they did. They did. And... And when I look back on it, that was a really fortunate opportunity, but I was not good at it. I had the similar feelings that I got when I was supposed to get up in front of the class in college. And uh, luckily, John Bucci-Gross was there. Darren Pang was there to kind of help me out. But it was uh, it was not a great experience. I was wondering, geez, man, can I get this knee fixed one more time and get back <laughs> on the ice? It was that, it was that type of, uh, yeah. of an experience. So I, after doing 15 games there... I then was lucky enough to settle in at um, at Comcast Sportsnet at that time, and start doing you know Flyers post game live and in a very casual uh, environment with Coatsy and Michael Barkan and Al Meltzer, and I did that uh, for five years and then became much more comfortable at doing it and those reps really you know did wonders for me, combined with doing morning radio with Morganti and. Uh, Angelo Cataldi, that that was a big boost for me as well. So I had a lot of people help me out in that regard. And I'm very thankful for all those guys. It's so funny because on a what much smaller, smaller, smaller scale with Biscuit Tees, with all the Oscar stuff, I did a lot. We got interviewed a lot for different news things and through the NHL and all that for all the Oscar stuff. And that was easy. You're just talking about but when you switch it around, when we first started doing this, it was like a whole different like, wait, now I got to run the thing, got to come up with the stuff. Like, it's definitely a little nerve wracking. And this is just a little podcast, you know, for not being on national television or so. And I know my dad, when he he used to be terrible, like with speaking and now like just awful. Now he will talk in front of a million people and not even think twice about it. But it, it is. It's a. It's a scary step jumping into that, unless it's something you've always wanted to do and train for, obviously. I'm always amazed that some of the guys that come in are great right away. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, wow, what a what a talent that is to be able to do that. And there is there is some that absolutely can do it. There's others that try it, and it's really uncomfortable for them, and some of them don't get the next chance and right. before you know it. They have found their way like I did, but they don't get those opportunities. So um, a lot of times it's first impression is the only impression and you don't get a second chance yeah. in that regard. So um, another thing that I'm, I feel really you know good about and it had more to do with other people than it did with me, just giving me a chance and allowing me to eventually, uh, you know, be myself, but it's hard to be yourself when you think 
everybody wants you to be somebody else. Yeah, so it's a, so true. It's a hard, it, it is a challenge. And, I, and that's the advice I would give to anybody that's trying to get into it is just, if you're not great right away, just find ways to get repetition, find ways to, you know, kind of work your way through that. You might have to take a step back and maybe it's not on a national level, but doing local uh, is a big deal. It's important. And uh, sometimes that can give you a chance to open more doors as you get more experience. And I do agree, just being yourself is, is sometimes the hardest thing to do, but I think that's the most successful people when you can just relax and be yourself because people want to feel connected to you. And when you're acting natural, it's a lot easier for that. So how did you get on with yeah. the with the morning guys? I mean, I've been on with Angelo and Al, and I mean, they're all they're awesome and so much fun. Like, how did that come about? Well, that's a funny story. Um, <laughs> Al brought me in. I guess 21 years ago now, like right after I had retired and I was just a guest and I came in and I told a, a, a dirty joke that you could never <laughs> tell today. And and they're was, like, you're it hired. Was a, <laughs> it was, it was more like a story. I wish right. I could tell you guys. I know. I wish we could hear it. Hey, we're not national, you know, we're not. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's very funny. It's very funny, but it's like, and the way I told it was that it wasn't like, Hey, I got a great joke for you. It was, I just answered a question that Angelo had given me about what my night was like the night before. Right. And I was, it was involved my wife and everything. Uh, and she heard the joke and she had never heard it before, but she was driving in the car and my cell phone was vibrating after I told the joke. And it took me days to get, uh, get through that. I can tell you that, but it was, uh, it paid dividends and yeah. that really got Angelo's attention. And then I started going in, for free at four in the morning, twice a week, um, for about a year and a half without being paid. And then eventually it evolved into a job. So that's just another thing, another great example of, uh, you know, being on time and being willing to go the extra mile and kind of finding a way to evolve into the, the show. And I've been doing it now for 21 years and it's been a great job to have. Oh my God, they're just a blast. They're the um, most popular local sports uh, radio station here, Corey. And they're just, um, they're a lot, a lot of fun. And I <laughs> like that's such a great gig to get on. And Al is just, I mean, with his dry sense of humor and his little like one liners, oh, he's I'll so be funny. I'll around after this. I want to find that joke. <laughs> 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 yeah. We don't want to put you in the uh, bad side with your wife again, no, so we won't no, pressure yeah, you. <laughs> it took me 20 years to get back in the good book. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, too, because we've had uh, what a you know, small knit family that the hockey community is. We've had uh, Ray Shiro on. He's friends with Chuck Fletcher. You mentioned David Poyle. He's part of those guys. And David Poyle's dad, Bud Poyle, I think uh, drafted our dads, Kim. So it's a, uh, yeah, it is family small there, yeah. world, this hockey yeah. world, but it's <laughs> such crazy. a great community to be a part of. Like Corey and I, one of the reasons why we started this, just growing up in this unique circumstances that we did. Um, yeah. And you have a daughter, correct? So I'm sure you know, yes. she's had some experiences this, with this, but it's just there's a bond that's there that you don't even necessarily have to really know someone well to have that just growing up in this this community. And it's just made up of such incredible people. I mean, just the people I've met through the years, you included, it's just, it's awesome. We're very fortunate. Yeah, it, it is. I think we all feel the same way and we are all lucky to have a little bit of a slice of it and pass it on to other people and make other people feel included. And 
um, it's it's a big family, and it's important that we continue to grow it for sure. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, we had to, you know, we miss with these playoffs for sure. We missed Doc this year. We had him on. He was our first episode, but uh, just his spirit. And I mean, he'll never be replicated ever. Yeah. But, you know. No, and he's another guy that really got going with the Flyers. Yes. And you think back to the yep. days with Bill Clement and those bo- both guys are obviously Hall of Famers and. I know Bill's not in there yet, but I look forward to him getting in. And he's, he's another guy that's been very helpful to me in my career, post-playing career. And even as a player, he always uh, put a, a real good light on some of the things you did on the ice. He's just such an intelligent broadcaster, and he's passed that information along to, to a lot of different people. Yeah, he's great. And his energy is just so positive, like just being around him. Um, he's a great guy. Again, more of that hockey world. <laughs> but you know, yeah. <laughs> now, um, sorry, go ahead, Ken. I want you to tell Corey. I know I asked you, but I'm gonna have to re- ask you to repeat the story because it's so great. When um, when you got traded from uh from the Caps, and I just I love that story. Can I ask you to repeat it again <laughs> for us? Real I want to hear it. I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so I had, I was I was feeling like crap for about two weeks, and Jim Schoenfeld's a hard driving coach, and he kept saying, "What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you?" I said, "I don't okay. feel well," and he said, "Okay, that's it. You're going to the Mayo Clinic." He said to me, but it didn't turn out. I went to the Mayo Clinic. I went to this little tiny spot down the road in Washington, and I went and did some blood work. And for the next five or six days, I still was feeling really like crap. I probably, looking back on it, had one of the concussions, you know, back in the day where we we just kept playing mm-hmm. through it. But anyway, yeah, I was not feeling like myself. I was sleeping for long periods of time, and so we ended up. We had a game in Long Island against the Islanders. And um, I'd kind of been wondering all day. I kept asking San Juan, the trainer, did you get the results? Did you get the results? You know, I was just kind of worried about it. I didn't know what was happening. So yeah. he said no. <clears throat> so I went out for the warm-up and, and, uh, to get ready for the game against the Islanders. I came off the ice after the warm-up. I had one skate on. The other one was getting sharpened. And Jim Schoenfeld came in the lo- dressing room and said, hey, Jonesy, I, I need to see you in my office. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's something. He got the news. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he got the results. So that's all I was thinking about. And I yeah. walked in uh, <clears throat> to the little office there underneath the, in the Coliseum. And he's like, I got some uh, terrible news for you. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> I'm just thinking, what do I got? You know? he's, like, <laughs> he's like, you've been traded. The trade and I go, oh, thank God. He goes, man, he goes, man, you're taking it a lot better than I thought you would. I go, no, it's not. It's not who were I, I thought I was dying. Yeah, so, I don't know if he, I never told him I thought I was dying, but yeah. I, I still think to this day, it's like, geez, that guy must have really hated me. He couldn't wait to get out of here. So. That's awesome. That's funny. Um, what, uh, what are uh, our kind of a, uh, guy who follows our one of our pages he kind of had a question he wanted me to ask you about uh, the dave poolin story and um the money contract he said something there was a story with oh, Dave yeah. Poulin and, and, and the contract he loved it <laughs> so uh, you mentioned david poyle before and i had gene mcburney who worked with garnet ace back in the day he was my first agent yeah. <clears throat> i i fired him for no particular reason and decided I was going to represent myself. And yeah. this was going into my third contract and it was with Washington. 
And I was coming off a decent season after the lockout year. I think I had 14 goals in 40 games. So I thought I had it going on. So I said, I'm going to represent <laughs> myself. So we met in um, Washington. We had like the unveiling of the Capitals' new jerseys when they went to the blue, black, and white. Um, it was at, I think it was at like Planet Hollywood or something down in D.C. So I told David, you know, we got to get together and, He's like, yeah, I know. He said, you're still representing yourself? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. So we did this jersey unveiling, and then he and I went back and met in his office in uh, Landover, and I went in there with an empty briefcase. Nothing nothing in it. Not a piece, not a piece of paper. But you looked good. Yeah. I had a pair of flip-flops and a T-shirt on. I didn't look that good. So I sat down across from him, and he's like going through a lot of papers, and he's saying, well, this is where it's hard. Uh, Keith, this is where it's kind of a good thing when you have an agent. I gotta, I have to tell you what you do wrong. And I was like, hey, Keith Jones, the player's outside the door. I'm the agent right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here right now. So yeah. um, I ended up going back and forth with him, and he would bring up comparable players and stuff to me that he thought that I kind of fit in in that category and I would ask him I, I don't I, I haven't even heard of that guy <laughs> and, and then he'd have somebody bring in so, some paperwork and be like hey this is uh you know just back and forth the secretary and such and then I would open my empty briefcase and there's nothing in there but I would pretend I was looking something up <laughs> by the end of it I said uh uh, if I don't make as much as Rob Pearson, who was making five hundred thousand at that uh, a year at that time, I, yeah. I don't. I'm not going to play next year. That that was my negotiating tactic. <laughs> yeah. So he goes, "Oh, let me think about it." And so I left, and I never heard back from him for like three weeks went by. And then David or Dave Poulin called me, who was playing with the Caps at that time. He goes, "Dude, uh, how's your contract going?" I said, "I don't know. I haven't heard back from. Like, yeah, I don't think it's going very well." <laughs> and it's like, uh, "You need to get an agent. You need to get an agent. You, here's my guy, Steve Mountain. He'll do the deal. You know, you 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 need an agent." So yeah. I talked to Steve Mountain. I go, "Okay, that's a, yeah. that's how much convincing I needed." I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> and, and he uh, so then he um, ended up. Uh, giving me Steve Mountain's number. I talked to Steve and Steve got me my first, that contract. And I was for the same amount of money as Rob Pearson. So ah, <laughs> I was going to say, did you get the same amount? Yeah, I did. <laughs> exactly the same amount for the, yeah. uh, for one, another one year deal. But yeah, that's. Uh, so did so you that, keep him around it. for a while? Uh, I did. Yep. Steve was my agent for the rest of my playing career and still does my radio Oh, deals, nice. uh, with, with WIP represents Al Morgani and Angelo Cataldi and all those guys too. So, okay. uh, yeah, and he had Ron Hextall. He still has Rick Tockett. And I think he must do Ron stuff too. So yeah, he's kept relationships with all those guys. Nice. Well, since we're talking about stories, there was another thing that was touched on where where there's, there's something where you were in an airport and you're all on TV Someone that you knew going down the falls in a barrel. Oh yeah, is that? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I played with a guy in Niagara Falls. His name was Mike Mike Petrovich. Yeah. Uh, he had a brother that actually played in Toronto's system. Might have played a couple games with the Leafs. And he had another brother that was just crazy. But Mike, I, I say I played with him in um, Niagara Falls, but. He only played one game and he never had one shift and he was suspended for life because he <laughs> oh, clubbed geez. the guy on the other team right over the head with his stick. Oh, and wow. he'd, been a goalie, he'd been a goalie his whole life and the Masterson 
brothers brought him in. He was actually working on their farm <laughs> and, in Niagara Falls. They brought him in to kind of get a guy that had been given the business, one of our better players, a guy named Brian Glennie. So yeah. um, he went right from our bench, never touched the ice for a shift, but did just skate directly to the other team's bench and club the guy <laughs> oh, over the head. So it was, a, it was an amazing experience. So <laughs> the following year, I was at college. And I was watching uh, in the lunchroom the CNN play of the day. And uh, I looked up at the CNN news right after that. They go, two men went over the falls in a barrel. I'm like, that's amazing because I had just lived there the year before. And I look and it's uh, the one guy's name I didn't recognize. And the other one was Mike's brother, Clyde, uh, <laughs> coming out with nothing on but a no. pair of cowboy boots and a, a beer in his hand. And, and said, I, he says, I did this so kids would stay off of drugs. And he's holding two beers up and Maple Leaf is covering his parts. So, oh um, but they, they went over. And oh he my was God. not part of the plan. He just got up that day. He saw one of his friends at the bar. His friend was upset that he built a two-man barrel and his other buddy bailed out on him. And this Clyde says, well, I'll go. Oh and he jumped God. in there and over the falls <laughs> they went. So, yeah, that was an incredible. That's just one of those things you look at and go, wow, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> I, I, I'm i telling you, I would be, I don't think I have a fear of heights, but when I actually am in a situation, I really do. Like, I can't imagine doing uh, that. I think I'd have a heart attack. <laughs> I do just standing over and looking. Like, when I go right. to I used to walk down there a lot. I just look at the power and go, man, this is like. I'd get that feeling in my stomach. No thanks. No <laughs> what was the story, Corb, with um, someone played a joke on my dad when he played oh for Niagara? <laughs> okay. So Kim's dad and uh, my dad played uh, for the Niagara Falls Flyers. And yeah. um, my dad, I think, was there a year before just as the backup or whatever. So Bernie was a rookie the next year. And when all the rookies came in, they told them, hey, um, you know, at nine o'clock, they they turn the falls backwards. It, it it goes back up the falls, and they tell the rookies <laughs> at nine o'clock. So and then all the vets would, would hide out and watch to see who would show up to see if they actually, you know, switch the falls and they go backwards. And, and Kim, your dad showed up. <laughs> he showed up to watch them turn the falls and turn the falls around. And so. they all jump out. Did you? <laughs> did yeah, you? Yeah. Were you involved in any locker room pranks like that or any? I love all that. Those kind of stuffs. I know that yeah. nasty was very big on, oh, yeah. on doing <laughs> pranks in the locker room, but <laughs> I was I was on the receiving end a couple of times. Were you? One time, <laughs> one time, Dale Hunter and Callie Johansson had <clears throat> taken this rotten uh, Swedish fish, which is actually a delicacy back in Sweden, but it stinks so bad, yeah. and stuck it underneath my sports car, right under the oh. driver's seat. Oh, I, God. I, came, I swear, I came out to my car, oh, and I'm God. like, there's like a sewage plant around here or something, and <laughs> oh, as soon as I sat in my car, I knew there was a problem, so I looked in the rear view mirror, and they were laughing. Oh, my God. Them. Like, so I get out, and they luck, thankfully, they put it on a plastic bag and it wasn't leaking all over, but it took three weeks to get the smell out of it. I was going to ask how long did it take to air that out? <laughs> it was, it was a long time. And I literally drove out of there with my head out the window all the way to the, to get the car detailed. And I did that like every day for three weeks and then finally went away. But I didn't know there was a uh, real Swedish fish. I thought it was just, you know, the, the candy. Yeah, <laughs> if you Google it, you'll see it. I forget the name of it, but it is, Terrible. Oh Terrible my smell. God. That makes my skin crawl <laughs> just thinking about it. <laughs> That's funny. Oh. Um, oh, another quick thing is do you remember Rick White? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, I'll the big 
everyone laughs was because when you made it to the Capitals and you were on TV all the time, we'd always be out and Whitey be there and he's like, you are his twin. And it's what yes. we always joked about you're his <laughs> twin, but everyone said, yeah, no, Whitey was a hell of a lot slower than you. So <laughs> he, was a, he was a right hand shot. Yeah. He was a little bit bigger than me. But I'll tell you how much he looked like me. My my mom came to a game and oh when I was playing for Niagara Falls. <laughs> yeah. And Lady took like five penalties in the game. He's a very aggressive player. Yeah. And uh, not like I wasn't, but he was. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I met. I came out after the game, and my mom goes, "Why did you spend the whole game in the penalty box?" And I didn't <laughs> have that. Yeah. He shot a different hand than me too. That's the funny part. But they so much alike. <laughs> He said he was a really good guy, funny guy, real character. That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, when your mom mistakes you, I mean, that's that's gotta be pretty, (laughs) pretty good. Yeah. It's Kim, exactly. Kim, I'll send you a picture of Whitey. It's pretty, yeah, how to look funny. at that? And, and when I couldn't believe you guys were on the same team, I'm like, no way! What a what a coincidence! But, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And it was crazy. I actually, when uh, we were like 22, 23, we actually played uh, men's league Niagara no hit, and Niagara Falls still had the same team. When we were like, oh my, like Taylor can't. Uh, Wallington, I'm like, oh my god, and I, they still I, played the same way. <laughs> I I lived at Taylor Kant's house with his family. They they billeted me for a few months when I was there, also. So yeah, I remember oh, all man. those guys. Some of the some of the names I actually, it's nice to hear because I had forgotten some of them. You know, until you see them again, and that doesn't happen yeah. very often. Anymore. Yeah. Well, Taylor's. I remember we were playing against him. One of my best friends ended up fighting him because you know he, oh, yeah. he, he he was tough, but you know we came from a tough little town, so. Uh, it was a pretty good battle. So, the, the, but what, a, you know, back in the day that was, you know, you had it out on the ice and then, you know, you met up in the bar after the game and, but those guys were still playing. They still, you know, they still played the same way, but I thought it was great that, you know, you were one of the guys, Brian Glennie, Brian Glennie was, he actually went to Brock university. He was really good. So, yeah. He's yeah. a great player. Great yeah. player. Now, when you played um, pro, was there anyone that you hated playing against on the ice? Not hated. I shouldn't say that. I mean, but is there anyone that you didn't enjoy playing against on the ice or <laughs> got under your skin? Or, did or, didn't enjoy playing yeah. against? Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> There's anyone who was tougher than me, which was a lot of them. Right. So, um, <laughs> But it was never a, a personal thing for me. Like I, I, they might not feel the same way going back the other way. But for me, it was always just a game. It was just a sport, and so there, there was nobody that uh, I wished anything ill will on. I can tell you that away from the game. But there, it was just competition. It was, um, and as Corey mentioned earlier, it was it, you you could easily have gone and you know had a beer with anybody on the other mm-hmm. team. You know, if you met them in the right setting, and that's what makes hockey great. Um, so no, I didn't have, there was nobody that I, uh, absolutely, you know, hated. Uh, there's some guys I did, I certainly wasn't going to fight and I right. was one of those guys. So you wouldn't get uh, chirpy with those guys. You'd kind of just mind your business. I still would. No, I still would, but I, I made sure that the refs were in a close vicinity. <laughs> <laughs> and if they ever said, to let them go, I would look at them like, no, 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 no. So did you find yourself in a fight that you wish you weren't in at some point? Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. I I fought Rich Pilon once and I didn't know that he was, you know, a Western Canadian kid that was very experienced in fighting. I thought he was just a guy with a visor. Uh, (laughs) Unbeknownst to me, he wore it because he had an eye injury. And he he was a complete animal who could fight with both hands. And he was tough. 
Oh my God. I almost could have ended my career if he would have landed one of the rights that he threw wow. at me. So um, that was a wake up call. I was like, all right, so you don't fit it. You don't fit in this category. You better find your, find your weight class, but you're not going to last very long. Yeah. But like you said earlier, with all the um, concussions, and you just would play through it and you know, with the fighting and the hits and everything. And I mean, like uh, Sean Antosky, I'm friendly with too. He said he played a whole game. He doesn't remember playing. Yeah. You know, yeah, just, that could happen. It could happen for sure. We just, we didn't know as much as they obviously know over the last 20 years or so. Yeah. But when you look back and I'm sure there's something to be said for that, but for the most part, you felt good every time you stepped on the ice. There's just some games you plowed through, whether it was, your head or your knee or your arm, whatever it was, you just, you know, right. you were, you were bred to keep on playing. And it's one of the things that makes hockey great. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Howe was saying he had what, like eight or nine concussions. So he like does all he can now to try and keep his brain as healthy as possible. You know? So, Smart. I mean, what yeah. can you do? At no, least now, can do. yeah, at least now they're, you know, there's protocol and all that. And mm -hmm. you know, hopefully yeah, it'll help sure. these guys down the road. So I think it will. I yeah. think it will for sure. Now, um, I just had a couple more things I wanted to ask you about. I know um, yes. that what was the environment like um, in the Olympics? Like, what was that whole experience that, like? That must have been pretty cool. Yeah, really cool. It's like it's like sitting Disneyland in the middle of anywhere. You right. know, just kind of you plop it there. It doesn't matter what country you're in. You're, you're not going to see a whole lot of the the countries like it was Sochi was obviously in Russia and then we were in uh, South Korea for the next one. And they're just amazing experiences. It's fun to be a part of. It's greater when the NHL players are there yeah. when you're covering hockey. So hopefully they'll be in Beijing coming up um, next, the next winter Olympics next, next winter. Um, that, that would be awesome. There, there is a big difference when it's those guys playing compared yeah. to, you know, other players of lesser, stature than those guys but it's um it's great to be part of it it really is it's a pretty cool experience and uh you're you're a long way away from home but you're bringing you know something back to the people at home that's pretty special so yeah. uh, that, that's a great honor to be involved with that for sure i can imagine because even just the winter classic when my dad played um, yeah. just that environment for a weekend right here in Philly, it's just the, the, the buzz and the excitement. So I can, uh, imagine what it's like over there, but I mean, I guess you were there for a long time, a long stretch though. Yeah. You're there for about three or four weeks and you just kind of find your little places to go and grab dinner. And, you know, you do get a little taste of the, obviously the culture and, uh, but you don't have a lot of flexibility when you're there. You're working quite a bit. Yeah. So you might get a couple of days where you can take a peek around. But uh, especially in, in some countries, it's not like you have the freedom to go around and look at yeah. everything either. Uh, it's a little bit different than being obviously back home in North America. Right. Yeah. Well, hope, like you said, hopefully the NHL players will be in the in the next one. When do they make that decision? <laughs> It's got to be within the next little while. I, I mean, it's, I think under these circumstances, they probably wait a little bit longer just right. because we're, you know, still in the pandemic and hopefully coming out of it soon. And some other countries are a lot further behind than we are. So, so who has all, to give? Like, is Batman has to agree to it, I guess? And I then, don't know. I, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure what the process is behind it, but I'm sure there's a lot of different people involved from both sides the yeah. Players Association, the Olympic committee and and the commissioner so yeah. yeah there's a lot of a lot of things that would have to be 
uh, come together. They've agreed in principle to go, but I know nothing's in stone. Yeah. yeah. It's tough too, because players make so much money and, you know, the injury risk factor with, you know, I think the owners probably don't want the players going. Um, so yeah, the, the players association, there's probably a lot of people that, you know, Way it'll be in, interesting yeah. to see what the final, what the final outcome is. So yeah, the, the players want to go. That's the key. But yeah. that's the only, if, if they do go, that's the only reason they'll be going. Yeah. Is the player, the players love to be a part of it. Yeah. yeah. I don't blame them. <clears throat> um, your prediction, who's going to win the cup this year? Uh, I think I think Tampa gets it. I think Tampa yeah. has it again. Yeah, they're good enough, and they're building momentum. They just had a good hard series against Florida, and Kucherov and Stamkos played in all the games. So I yeah. would say that uh, Tampa's going to be the team. God, it was so great. I watched the um, Islanders game and just hearing their crowd, 9,000 people, they made it sound like 50,000. Like it was just so loud. The walls were shaking. Like it just felt so good to watch a game like that again. And then you watch the Toronto uh, Canadian series, no fans. And it's just like, uh, 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 you know, it's just like a whole different feel. So it's been so great. And the Preds fans, like it's just been a lot of fun. Feel like you're back in the playoff environment again. And that would be great for Tampa for their fans to be able to really enjoy a cup yeah. after what they had to, you know, go through last year with nobody being there. Right. Um, that would be kind of fitting and for for them to go back to back just because of what they missed last year too. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I was thinking that exact thing last yeah. last night. I, I like the Islanders. I just like the guys on that team and kind of rooting yep. for them. But I was thinking about that with Tampa, like to experience it, you know, the quote unquote right way. You know, it would be nice yeah. for them. But, um, and what about what's going on? You still have a horse, you still horse racing. I know that's another passion of yours. You still involved in that? Yeah, we, we have one piece of uh, a horse that's a really good one. He's a four year old named Mischievous Alex. Um, and he'll race on Belmont Day, which is a week from Saturday, uh, in a really big race called the Met Mile. He's not in the Belmont Stakes, he's too old for that. But the Met Mile's up as it's said. Uh, stated a one mile race that he'll be stretching out a little bit further than he's gone before, but he's really fast. So uh, we'll see how he does. So you're fully like you own the horse, you have a jockey, you put them. Is that like, does that help? Yeah. I'm part of an ownership group. um, And it's, you know, one the main primary owner is a guy named Chuck Zachney. And he owned a fleet Alex, which was a really successful horse. He won the Preakness and the Belmont. I think in 2005, and he's a big listener to the radio show in Philly. Um, And Chuck has a lot of local ties. He's a Pennsylvania guy. And uh, we've been friends for a long time. So he just kind of hooked me up as part of the puzzle. And uh, we've had a lot of fun with this one. So hopefully that continues on uh, Belmonte. Well, we'll be rooting uh, for you. How many races does does your, do they do a year? Uh, it depends. I don't know you much know, about I, horse I'd racing. Say, I would say on average, maybe four or five. They okay. spread them out pretty good. So, and, um, you know, depending on their breeding and if they're eligible to be studs and stuff, sometimes they don't race as long because they have more value to put them in the, right. on the as a stud and, you know, have them keep producing other horses down the road that hopefully run really fast. And then, right. yeah. You can kind of do well with that too, but it, it's a it's a fun business to be a part of. It's um, it's something that you have to be very lucky in, though, too. Right. And uh, and we've had some good luck so far. So is that televised? We'll keep our fingers crossed. It is. Yeah, that'll be on Belmont Day, I believe, on NBC. 
Um, well, got to watch so, and yeah. root for you. Yeah, it's the yeah the Met Mile, and it's mischievous Alex. So. Mischievous Alex. Yeah, what, bring, uh, him, bring him home. I, I have you been hanging out with Jerry Cheevers? He's uh, he's, he, he, he loves the horses. Man. He's Eddie, a very Eddie big Olchuk. horse guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eddie Olchuk and Rick Bacleach love the trotters, and yeah. you know, there's all there's always been a lot of uh, connections between hockey and horse racing. <laughs> My dad's only connection was back when he played. He got drunk one night, came home, middle of the night, and told, woke my mom up. He's like, I bought a horse. <laughs> 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 he just randomly bought a horse from a guy at a bar when he was Honest drunk. Honest the guy, same, same story in Colorado. My dad came home one day and bought my mom a horse. He's like, here's a horse. We're going on a Western road trip. I'll be back in a week. And she's like... I have a horse. So, yeah, so we had a horse. <laughs> yeah. At least your dad planned it a li- at least a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then and then your dad had a, your dad had a long face when he saw the bills coming too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's like a boat, right? The money yeah. just keeps going out. <laughs> yeah. My and, boat um, runs on gas, not thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of Alex, um, does you, I know you have a book out there, and that you're, all the proceeds were going to Alex's lemonade right yeah that's right that's right and you know that connection actually came through chuck as well back in the day because uh, the horse's name obviously as you just tied in mischievous alex is after his uh, son he also had a fleet alex was the father of uh the his horse that did so well at the preakness so uh he started doing stuff with alex's lemonade and of course there was ties here alex's family and alex before she passed was also uh, in the Pennsylvania area as well. So uh, it's a very good cause. It continues to be For a great sure. cause. And, uh, you know, the the book was so bad that uh, that was the last <laughs> book that that company published. So. <laughs> Maybe it was just that great. They didn't want to, you know, yeah, they yeah. wanted to go out yeah. with a bang. <laughs> they ended on a good note, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's so great, though, to donate the proceeds to that. And it's amazing how big that charity has become. Like, Yeah, it, it's huge. And it should be. It's awesome. For sure. It's awesome. Well, that's great. We appreciate you you doing that stuff. Giving back. I mean, you know, what is life if we're not giving back somehow? For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, do you have anything else you want to touch on, Cor? No, I I got all my stuff in. I just wanted was curious about all the Niagara Falls stuff. Oh, and my, my yeah. kids are, my kids are from Brantford. So I go to Brantford. Nice. I go there once every, every Friday and every Monday. So that's great. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Small oh, world. I do want to ask <laughs> yeah. too. We always ask our guests this as far, and we yeah. touched on it last time we talked, but just um, any memories of our dads. I know you were a Toronto fan and watch Corey's dad play, I'm sure. And you were in Philly with my dad. So what's your, yeah. uh, your take on them experiences with them personally or as players? Yeah. Well, with Bernie, I just, I've really gotten to know him, obviously, with my time here in Philly. And I just love the way he lights up the room. Yeah. I mean, it's a, he just doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who you are, whatever. Doesn't matter. He's going to make you smile. And yeah. that's something I've always appreciated about Bernie. Um, and for Doug, it's just kind of funny, Corey. I, when I was um, in high school, you had to go and look up something that happened the day or was in the newspaper the day that you were born. So of course I went to the sports page and in the sports page was a headline and your dad was involved in this story. And it's like the red, red Berenson scored six goals six goal. yeah. on, on November, November the 7th, 1968. Yeah. I was born on November the 8th, 1968. So yeah. I always remembered that. It actually came up as one of the trivia questions 
uh, this year on one of our flyer broadcasts. And of course, I butchered it. I said Red Berenson scored five goals. Uh. And I, I think it might have been six. <laughs> I'm almost telling you. It was six. Yeah. yeah so I, tried to, I tried to give your dad a break and said, yeah, but, it, but AJ's Twitter lit up and everyone yelled at me for getting the number of goals wrong. But anyway, that's, uh, that's my memory of your dad. And I know, that uh, the Niagara region knows him well yeah. too. So yeah, yeah. And I lo- I looked it up. I almost thought because he was coaching junior B around that time with the Thor Blackhawks. So I, I thought remember that. he played against him uh, when he was with Thorold. So. Yeah, I remember when that. I know his name was always yeah. you know prominent in that area, and I knew that there was a time that he was coaching in that area yeah. as well. So yeah, oh well, good, good stuff. Good place to play. Well, yeah, we total. like as listeners, we like when you botch things and you and yeah. Jimmy go back and forth. It makes for uh, yeah. fun listening. So keep, keep it up. In a, in a couple of years, keep, you'll have that down to four goals. Yeah. Well, <laughs> down to four, so. Anyway, no, thanks so much for coming on and, and taking the time to do this. That's that's amazing. Yeah, we really I'm appreciate it. Yeah. Happy to do it, guys. And hopefully this coming season, I'll get to see you in person again and uh, we'll be back to Hopefully, pretty much normal. All full house. We'll full pray. House. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I would say yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep with that. All right. Yeah. All right, Jonesy. Have a great okay. day. The Perrant Favel Generation X podcast is powered by Biscuit Tees and Favel Fitness, bringing you unique comfort and style while optimizing a healthy, organic lifestyle. Yes.